0: Good morning. morning. He is risen. risen I'm so glad all of you guys are here. We have a. I was looking at the weather and I thought it was going to be a little chilly, so I even brought a sports coat. But I don't think I'm going to wear it today. I'm just so glad you are here. If you're visiting this morning, we're glad you're here. We'd love to get to spend some time with you and get to know you. Um, If you're available, we're having a luncheon after service, as what uh, Brother Manny shared. It's free 99. You could just stay. You know what free 99 is? Is You could just come. You don't have to pay anything. We just hope you can stay a while and share a meal. Um, we have much to celebrate this morning. Amen. Amen. Not only is it our normal communion Sunday, we have that once a month, but it's also, we just celebrated Good Friday And today is Resurrection Sunday. So if you would turn with me, I'm going to go to a text that's not typically preached during Resurrection Sunday. But I will show you how it all ties in. Go to Luke chapter 23. uh, Portion of that, we're only going to go through verses 39 to 43. And it reads, One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered in rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we ask, would you glorify your Son? Take the things of Christ, shed it abroad in our hearts. Oh God, would you do that this morning? Let our hearts be filled with joy, revel in the joy that is in Christ. We pray. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in him. In Jesus' name. Amen. What you have in this passage is not just a historical event, but also the two criminals hanging on both sides of Christ are a representation of the world. So yes, there are two criminals there, but they are actually a representation of the world. Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is the centerpiece here. And it is what these two criminals do with the truth. That's what it has to do about with Christ. You see, I think people view resurrection Easter Sunday as a time to get dressed and go to church. And I'm glad you're here. But it's so much more than that. Friends, it is so much more than that. Good Friday tells me how high the price was for my sins. That is Jesus himself ble- bleeding and dying on the cross. But Resurrection Sunday tells me, as what Ty said in his prayer, Resurrection Sunday tells me the proof that my sins were paid. The defeat of death by Christ himself. So, Good Friday tells me that the price was Christ. Resurrection Sunday tells me the proof that it paid for my sins. He paid for my sins. See, apart from the redeeming work of Christ in his cross and in resurrection, man will die in his sins, shaking his fist at God, going to an eternity in hell forever with no relief. The Bible says we are at war with God. The Bible says that we want nothing to do with him. The Bible says that none seek after him. No, not one. That's what Romans 3 says. But in Christ, in his cross work and his resurrection, even the worst of sinners can be saved in an instant and share in the blessings and promises given by Christ himself. There is no man that can forgive you. There is no priest that can forgive you. There are no rituals that can forgive you. Christ is the only mediator, he says in 1 Timothy. For there is one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus, right? So here's my preaching point for this morning. If you're following along with notes, would anyone like notes? Just raise your hand. There's notes if you want to follow along. Okay, we're all good. Everybody has. All right. God's word is given to you this morning so you would cast yourself at the mercy and forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection. He gives this text so you would cast yourself, not just in the person of Christ, but in his work, what he has done, what he has accomplished. See, when you look at the text and you see both of the criminals hanging on both sides of Christ, you can't help but ask the most pertinent question. This is a very stark question. Which criminal are you? Now at first, you you would stand aghast and say, well, I thought this was just, we're going to have lunch and we're going to be all smiley and everyone's going to be dressed nice. Oh, brothers and sisters and friends who are here, the cross not only shows the forgiveness of Christ, but it shows man's deep need because of our sin. And if you skip over the bad news, you don't, you will not appreciate, you will not know, you will not come to embrace the good news of Christ. I have to tell you the bad news and the good news. I get to do that. You see, in the book of Romans, it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In reality, all of us, when compared to the righteous and holy perfection of God, we all stand guilty. I know it. I'm guilty. You're guilty. The sins that I've hidden, the thoughts that I've had, the, things that, the people that I've hurt, I know I've sinned and I deserve the, glo- the judgment of God. But there, because of the Savior, because of his grace, I'm set free. So, apart from Christ, we are all condemned criminals in rebellion to a holy God. The question is not, if you are a criminal in the sight of God because you've broken his law. The question truly is, are you a criminal who has been forgiven of his crime? His sins against God through Jesus Christ. Which criminal are you? This is exactly where Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday fit in. I tell you this morning, there's nothing... You're going to go to, if you go to different churches, they will tell you, oh, Jesus gives you a good life and he does this and he'll give you more riches and you'll have a bigger house. That has nothing to do with the gospel. I'm telling you. What I what we have to say this morning is that there's nothing more relevant, more important, more crucial to know and understand than what happened on that Friday and what happened on that Sunday. Nothing is more significant and foundational to you and your life in all of human history than those events, particularly on those days. Oh, that you would cast yourself at the mercy and forgiveness in Christ this morning. So this morning, you need to ask yourself, not anyone else, not the person next to you, not the person, oh, I'm glad he's here to listen to this. I'm glad she's here to listen to this. Yourself. You need to ask these two foundational questions. If you are to cast yourself at the mercy and forgiveness in Christ. The first one. Who are you in the eyes of God? Who are you in the eyes of God? There are only two choices. Yes, there's choices. In the Bible, as we come and we hear the word of God preach. And we see the truth in scriptures. There are two choices to make. The first question is to kind of. Clarify this. Who are you in the eyes of God? Are you the condemned criminal? Is that you? Is that you? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 23, excuse me, 39. He says, One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now this criminal was probably one of the insurrectionists. He's uh, described as a thief, he's described as a robber in Luke, someone who would steal by violence. He was probably one of the numbered of Barnabas, excuse me, uh, Barabbas, uh, insurrectionists against Rome. And he was himself crucified. Now crucifixion as a punishment was reserved for the highest of crimes. It was most likely invented by the Persians in the 6th century B.C. There's even records of Darius crucifying individuals. Yes, the same Darius of the book of Daniel. It's said that Alexander the Great crucified 2,000 citizens of Tyre. After 70 AD and Jerusalem's insurrection against Rome, the Romans crucified so many that it was said that they had run out of lumber. What they would do is crucify these bodies and have them along the road so everyone who would ever think about going against Rome would see the consequences of it. And as was the case of Christ, the individual was beaten with a cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails is this leather whip that had shards of potsherd or maybe bone. And as the person would be whipped on the back, the uh, potsherd or the pieces of pottery would go into the back of the individual and cut the flesh. So it was a whipping and a ripping at the same time. They too had to carry their crossbeam down the Via De La Rosa, that road that goes to Golgotha. They too were spit upon, they were mocked. They too had their hands pierced by the wrist bone right here, as well as their feet. And as they hung there, they were suffering, all three of them, of the pain that they were enduring. Crucifixion actually was not an execution by beating. What it was really is was execution by suffocation. Because as they hung there, they would have to push. Imagine, the nails are in their wrist bones right by their radials, hanging them and on the bones of their feet. And as they wanted to breathe, they had to push up off of those to take a breath. So they would breathe. And then there would slump back down. And so it was a slow, arduous, painful death. In fact, the word excruciating comes from the word excursiatus, meaning out of the cross. You're actually, when we say it's excruciating, we don't know in our English, it means coming out of the cross, that kind of pain. It was a public humiliation and a deterrence to any who would go against Rome. And so this guy. Here's a condemned criminal. Notice his judgment. He says one of the criminals who were hanged there. He too was crucified. He too carried a cross. He too was beaten with a cat of nine tails. He too had the nails in his hands and his feet. He too had trouble breathing as the weight of his body hung there. But notice his heart. Notice his heart. He says in verse 39. there. One of the criminals who was there hanged. He was hurling abuse at him. The word there for hurling abuse shows his heart of hatred towards God. He was blaspheming. The words to blaspheme to revile. It's in the imperfect tense, which means to emphasize that he just kept doing it. This is how this was his way. This is what he, he was characteristic of while he was on the cross. In his last few moments, notice, imagine this. In his last few moments, you can choose to say anything. You understand? You don't want to waste your words. I've been in many deathbed situations. I've held people and I've held their hands while the life was slowly drawn from them. And you don't want to waste your words. Because every word that you speak is... Takes an, a, an amazing amount of energy and effort, but you know what? His heart, his last words were hurling abuse at Christ. You see, many people will say, "Well, I don't hate Christ. I don't. I don't. I don't have any beef with Christ." But when you tell people his own words. They say, I have nothing against Christians, I have nothing against religion, but when you say, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, then all of a sudden everyone starts to get upset and everyone gets angry. Here, death squeezes the essence out of a man, doesn't it? Oh yes, in our society, we don't like to talk about it. We like to sanitize death. Let me tell you, it is awful to see an unbeliever die. You you, you beg with them, please be reconciled to God. Trust in Christ and they say, I don't want to talk about God. In their last words, they say, I don't want to talk about God. Still angry to the end. It's nasty and it's an ugly thing to watch an unbeliever revile against God in his last few moments. This is when all the noise and all the pleasantries are stripped away. This is the heart of man. He is at war with God. Particularly his son Jesus Christ. You know, Voltaire, he was a um, famous, prolific... Outspoken atheist of the 18th century. He once wrote in regards to Christ. In regards to Christ. This is what he said. Curse the wretch. In 20 years Christianity will be no more. My single hand will destroy the religion. It took 12 apostles to lead. Can you imagine the audacity of Voltaire? On his deathbed... A nurse who was a Christian who attended Voltaire was reported to have said, For all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another atheist die. On his deathbed, he cried out, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Oh, he knew all about Christ. He heard the gospel. And instead of reaching out, he curses God himself. It shows who he really is and who he really trusts. Notice his blame shifting. This is what this man did. His blame shifting. The first criminal. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Notice you think, oh, that doesn't seem so bad, but notice what is lacking. There's no confession. He does not agree with God's judgment upon him. There's no repentance. He doesn't turn from his sin. There is no faith. He doesn't trust and submit to Christ. Aren't you, aren't you the Messiah? Isn't that your business? You owe me, God. Isn't that your business to save us? If you're really God, then why don't you save us? There's a refusal at the end to bow the knee to Christ. He doesn't want forgiveness. He just doesn't want punishment. He wants heaven, but no Christ. He wants fire insurance from hell, but no repentance from sin. He wants to escape condemnation on his terms. He wants to negotiate with God. This is what it looks like. And I only say this to warn you. We were all born with sin. We need the Savior to change us. This is what it looks like. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I don't deserve this. Just get me out of this, God. Isn't that your job? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Well, then do it. It's not my fault that I'm here. Here's the heart, this blame-shifting heart. I did this because you did this to me. I sinned because you sinned against me. I said this because you said this against me. It's the same blame-shifting that happened in the garden. It's not me, it's you. It's not me, it's you. Please, if you would just take these few moments to understand and to own your own sin friends you cannot come to god proud with excuses for your sins saying i did this because of this i did this because of this god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the what to the humble I'm not loving my wife like I should. It's because of her. No, it's your sin. I'm not loving my husband as I should. It's him. He never asks me how my day went. No, it's your sin. I'm starting to hate my old kids. I'm shouting at them too much. Or I can't stand mom and dad. They always try to tell me what to do. It is your sin that is being pointed out. The Bible says the one who will not acknowledge and truly and truly own his or her sin is the condemned criminal. Are you the condemned criminal or are you number 2? The redeemed criminal. Both criminals. Both guilty. See This is the misconception of Christianity. People think that true Christianity, we should look down upon others. No, we are all equally guilty at the foot of the cross. That's what the cross teaches us. The cross teaches us, we need someone to help us. We need someone to rescue us. I've made a mess of my life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. Why do I feel so lost? It's because you've not bowed the knee to Christ. He says, this is the redeemed criminal. Now, it's interesting. In verses 40 to 43, God gives this criminal all this time in the scriptures. You know, at first, both of them were mocking Christ. If you want to write this down, take a look at this later on. Mark 15, 32, it says, those who were crucified with him, that is the two other guys, were also insulting him. It's interesting. Matthew twenty seven forty four says, The robbers, those are the two guys, right? Who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. So here's what's happening. The Son of Man, the Messiah, that's the Messianic title of Jesus, he is, he is hanging on the cross who committed no sins, absolutely innocent. There are two criminals. One hurling abuse at him. The other hurling abuse at him. And in an instant, one of them is convicted. Yes. One of them is convicted of their sins. And God gives them a sound mind. And they finally realize the violence and the sin and the offense that they have committed against God. You see, notice, here are some qualities of a redeemed criminal. I'm a redeemed criminal. Did you know that? I've broken his law. And if you're a believer, you're a redeemed criminal. The redeemed fear God. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? This one stood there hanging in pain and everything became crystal clear for him. That's what happens in salvation. Do you understand? You finally say, it's me. It's not my parents, although how messed up they may be, right? It's not my upbringing. It's not because I grew up poor. It's me. I deserve this. And so the the guy says, do you not even fear God since you are under the same condemnation? It's the same heart of Psalm 51. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight so that thou art justified when you speak. You're right when you say this. You're right when you judge me, God. I deserve this. I am not holy. The redeemed fear God. Notice the redeemed own their sin. Verse 41, he says, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. We deserve this. This, oh, this is the beginning. It's called conviction. Theologically, we call this conviction. It's when the word of God is preached, and God, by the Holy Spirit, takes these things, pierces your heart, And you are convicted of your sin. I've seen this many times. It's happened to me many times. I hear the word of God and I know the preacher is talking to me. He's talking to me. Because I hear God's voice. I deserve this. This mess I got myself into. I deserve it. I deserve worse. And he sits there now. Without any excuse. Do you see the difference friends? Do you see the difference? No more making excuse. No more justifying of yourself. I stand naked before you God. You know what I've done. The redeemed notice they acknowledge the holiness of Christ. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's sitting there. Knowing he's suffering for what he has done, and he looks at Christ, and and the crowd is shouting at him, he healed people. He helped people. He preached the good news to people. And so he looks at him. This is what happens. This man has done nothing wrong. Hebrews 4:15 says this, we do for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things yet without sin. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, came in the flesh, put on flesh, lived a holy life, died a horrid death for us. 1 Peter 1:19 says you were redeemed With precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, what happens is, when someone finally gets convicted of their sin, not only is there this inward understanding, I have nothing good to offer him. But there's also this other understanding, it's a two-pronged understanding, that I have nothing to offer him, but Christ is altogether holy. The redeemed also trust in Christ. Look at verse 42. And he was saying, this is imperfect again. He kept saying it. He kept saying it in the imperfect. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Listen to those words, okay? No negotiation. No, God, if you do this, I'll do this. If I stop gambling, then maybe you'll accept me. Okay, but if I do gamble, I'll give you half of my earnings. That, that kind of negotiation. You think I made that up? No, someone actually told me that. They don't come into this thinking, oh, what am I going to get out of this? They come into this knowing, finally recognizing, this is the Holy One of Israel. This is the one who's dying for me. This is what he's saying. He's looking at him and he's dying for me. He knows he doesn't deserve anything. So all he could muster up is just remember me. Just remember me. He doesn't say wash my sins. He doesn't say cleanse me. He doesn't say he knows he doesn't deserve any of it. That's grace, brothers and sisters. That's grace, friends. That's what it means. Remember me, do with me as you want. Just remember me, have favor with me, please. I don't deserve it. There's this recognition this man sees. Although he is dying, Jesus Christ is dying. He has this crown of thorns and he says, This is the king! When you come into your kingdom, now notice, we look at this. This is astonishing. No one would look at Christ there except believers. All of them mocked him. Why? Because he didn't look like a king. He looked weak. He looked like he had no power. He looked like he lost. Oh, but in that loss, he conquered. He won over sin and over death. You know, some commentator said this. It's kind of interesting. I kind of followed this thought before. Some commentator said he had probably greater faith than us. Now, some of you might get offended. I serve in audiovisual for 10 years. How? He didn't do anything. I served in the children's ministry. I taught in home fellowship Bible studies. I discipled 400 people. What has he done? Yeah, that may be all fine and dandy, correct? Praise the Lord. If you're doing it with the right motive for the glory of Christ, not for your glory, right? But for the glory of Christ, praise the Lord. I don't want to discount that. But see, he didn't know the end of the story like we do. You get it? All he saw was Christ dying. He didn't know that Christ in glorious fashion Was going to humiliate death. By the resurrection. This is why we're celebrating today. And that's why we're eating free food today. This is why. Right? Because if there's anything to celebrate. It's this. Amen? So now. He had faith. In a dying Christ. We have faith. In a resurrected Christ. Do you understand? He died. And we know the end of the story. He didn't. And still he believed. Oh, I think his faith was greater than mine. I see Christ in power. He saw him in weakness. So here's a question again. Who are you in the eyes of God? Are you condemned or redeemed? That's it. That's the simple question. Are you condemned or are you redeemed? The next question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Verses 40 to 43, he says here, excuse me, verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. This is some of the sweetest and blessed words our Savior has ever said. Oh, Christian, this is where you can rest. This is where you can find comfort and peace. This is confidence for the believer in dying. This is confidence for the believer in living. There's several aspects to this promise. Notice Christ's trustworthy assurance. He says, truly. The word really is translated. It's amen, really. Amen. Amen means surely, verily, indeed, so let it be. And you notice Christ says to this robber. It's it's amazing. I'm studying about a robber. And my mother-in-law was mugged uh, two days ago in Sacramento. Yesterday. Oh, excuse me. Yesterday. And I tell you in my flesh... Almost boiling, right? My, my kids say, ooh, I want to thump that guy, right? Mm. That's just, that's just, we want to do it. That's our natural inclination. And yet our Lord gives grace to a robber. Mm. I got a lot to learn, don't I? You can have, this is what Jesus is saying, you can have full assurance that you are saved, that you will be with him in heaven, that all of your sins are forgiven, not because of any good works. The robber could do nothing. His nails were attached to a cross. But simply because I said so, this is what Jesus says. You could bank on this. You could depend on this. You could base your whole life on this. Truly, amen. Truly, Oh, if you put your faith in Christ, friends, if you put your faith in Christ, he will not disappoint you. He will not let you down. Next, Christ demonstrated power. He says, I say to you, this is the same one who's done miracles. The same one who calmed the sea. The same one who healed the sick, raised the dead. And later, he is the same one who was resurrected. Look at 24, chapter 24. You got to read the text again. We know at the first day, early at dawn, they came to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. They were perplexed. Look at verse 4. Two men suddenly stood there in dazzling clothing. These were the angels. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. And they asked the question, why do you seek the living one among the dead? In other words, why would someone who is alive be in a cemetery lying down? Remember, because they forgot. He spoke to you. He told you he had to do this. Notice, the son of man, that's himself, must be delivered, arrested, Delivered, right? Into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And in the third day, rise again. Amen. And they remembered his words and returned to the tomb and reported all these things. And there was Mary, Joanna, and Mary. Notice this. Verse 11. I love the honesty of the scriptures. People say, oh, the scriptures was there so it could confuse you and to deceive you. But it's not really true. No. The scriptures are completely honest. Notice. Look at the way it's written. Verse 11. But these words appeared to them as what? Nonsense. Foolishness. And they would not believe them. If they were making this story up, what it, what it, it would read, and they believed them wholeheartedly and it was true. No, it was nonsense to them. Peter, who walked with Jesus, says this is Nonsense. I know he did a lot of things, but, you know, I saw his body. I saw his lifeless body. This is nonsense. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away in his home, marveling at what had happened. Notice in the book of John, the way it's written is, they saw the linen wrappings and believed. It's interesting. How can bandages cause you to believe? Peter and John ran. Peter was faster, it says in the account in John. John caught up later. They saw and they believed. And the way it's written in John is that they actually saw. This is why they, they believed. Because they, we look at it and we say, oh, it's just a bunch of bandages ripped up and everything. No, it wasn't. It was written and folded in such a way that all they saw was the casing. The casing of the band. You don't believe me? Go to John. Go to John. You don't believe me? Go to John. Notice, this gives us more detail. And Simon Peter, excuse me, John twenty, verse. Uh, four, let's start at four. The two were running faster. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping, notice, and lying in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw, watch this, the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Why? Because when they wrapped the guy, when they wrapped a corpse, they would wrap the head and then wrap the body on two different two different uh, cloths. And when they came in, they saw it rolled still. Impossible for someone to get out of there. Notice he says here... Four, verse, So the other disciple who had come to the tomb, then they also entered and they saw, notice, they saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again from their own homes. So it took the bandages. They had to look at the bandages and they go, he is risen. He is alive. There's no way someone can come out of there. It's rolled up in itself. He came supernaturally through the bandages. Now, go back to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. This Christ defeated the grave. This is where friends, brothers and sisters, this is where Good Friday and the resurrection intersect. And your life intersects. Do you place your faith in the one who says, I say to you, God created us to image forth his glory. That means to shine his excellent attributes to everyone with our words, our deeds, our life, our hearts. But we have all gone astray. We've chased after our own devices. That's called sin. We have not met God's holy law. None of us do. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. If we believe in him, we will be saved in an instant. That's biblical Christianity. You mean everything I've done? Yes. You don't know the mountain of sin I come to. I come here with. You don't know what I've done. It could be wiped away. Mm. It could be cleaned. Amen. Because he is alive. Amen. He says, notice in back at 23 verse 43 Christ gives instantaneous comfort. He says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice he says that to the criminal. Today, there's no such thing as soul sleep as the cults teach. There's no such thing as purgatory as the false churches teach. Today, do you hear that? You believe in Christ? When you die, you will in an instant be in the presence of Christ. This is Christ's intimate presence. He says, you shall be with me. Yes, there will be a reunion with everyone who has died in Christ. Yes, you will see those who believed in Christ. We will all be worshiping and singing around the Lamb. But the greatest comfort will be Christ himself. You will be able to look at his eyes. You will be able to look at the one who bled for you. Let me tell you all the troubles of being a Christian. All the heartache of following. If someone sells you a Christianity that says your life is going to be easy, run, please. That is not biblical Christianity. The Bible says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Right? The Bible says says that we will suffer tribulations. Oh, if they sell you that kind of Christianity, let me tell you, that's not real. Christ never said that. He said to take up your cross and follow me. But let me tell you, one look at that Christ, it'll all wipe away. That's why Peter says, it's not worthy to compare. My sufferings are not worthy to compare to the glories that will follow. Not even a blip. Notice, it's Christ's eternal glory in paradise. Let me... Read this to you I, I know we've been bouncing around But I have to read this Go to Revelation 21 This is what it means in paradise It's used three times in the New Testament It's a reference to heaven Notice Revelation 21 Today you shall be with me in paradise Isn't that sweet words to you to this morning? Amen. Revelation 21 He says And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the Apostle John's vision of heaven. For your encouragement. This is exactly what you need when you're going through a difficult time. Follow, he says. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. What does that mean? Christ Himself is with us. He shall dwell among them, He shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Oh, I love this. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You got heartache because of sin? You have a husband that's done violence to you? Abuse you? You come from a family that's broken? You still don't even know what's right and wrong? Let me tell you, there is a place where he's going to wipe away every tear. You have disappointments? You have lost ones? He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. You think someone got away with sitting against you? He's going to wipe away every tear. You understand? That's our glorious Savior. There shall no longer be mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So I end this... Before we take communion, who are you in the eyes of God? Are you still in your sins? Are you condemned? Or are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? If you've come and you feel the weight of your, your sin, come to him. There is a fountain you could wash your sins in and it's not by your works it's not by the things you do it's simply in Christ trusting in what he's done on the cross there are as commentators have said there are two criminals one so that you would not despair and the other so you would not presume second question who is Jesus Christ is he a storybook character or is he the savior of the world and the defeater of death? Amen? Amen. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Father, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you. You've, you sent your son to pay for our sin and to defeat death. Oh God, would you do a work. If there's a Christian here who needs encouragement let them look at the cross if they have sinned let them look at the cross it's all paid for may they repent of it if there's someone here who doesn't know you I pray Lord may your word pierce their hearts may they go home and bow the knee you know how to bring sinners to you you did it with this man you were still evangelizing even at that time oh Christ we love you and we adore you Never let us get over the cross. May we be overwhelmed. May we revel in it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.